Hello, my fine friends. Thank you for choosing my podcast to listen to. We're powered by ACAS Plus. You can join uh, ACAS Plus if you want to get lots of bonuses. Google Rahalastapa and ACAS Plus and you'll get right there. There's lots of fun stuff to get. Um, Rahalastapa tour is nearly over. 21st of March, I'm at Bedford Corn Exchange. I'm talking to Olaf Falafel, who's a very funny children's author and stand-up comedian, and Al Murray, the pub landlord and historian man. And a friend of mine, uh, it should be fantastic, who went to Bedford, went to school in Bedford. It should be amazing. There's plenty of tickets left for that one. Uh, Glasgow on the 27th and Hull on the 28th. They're both sold out, but do keep checking the sites for returns. And uh, occasionally we put some comps back on sale, so there may be a chance to buy tickets. The main thing, though, is that I am going to be on tour doing stand-up, and I would love you to come. Uh, it's uh, from... It starts officially in May, but so uh, there's a few tryouts in April and March. So I'm at the Bill Murray. I'm at um, various places, Luton Hat Factory and uh, the Berry Hedge End. I don't even know where that is before going into a big tour where I'm going all over the place. It's selling in various degrees. Glasgow sold out. They've added an extra date. Uh, Chorley sold out, joined the waiting list. Uh, but a lot of the others have plenty of tickets. So... Do go and come to see that. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour for all those tour dates. RichardHerring.com slash Rahalastapa for the remaining Rahalastapa dates. And uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a little break from doing Rahalastapas. It'll be nice. We've got loads in the bank. Uh, so I hope you're enjoying them. I think there's some very high quality ones from this tour. Uh, so do keep listening. Do keep telling your friends. RichardHerring.com for all your Richard Herring needs. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another Rahalastapa. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, it's me, Rich Terry. Welcome to another Rahalastava this week with Joe Caulfield. Don't forget about our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash RK Herring. You can see Snooker on Mondays and Tuesdays. Rahalastapa, recorded live on Wednesdays, way ahead of when it comes out. And Thursday, it's Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun. Hello, everyone, it's me, Ali, from Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun. Why not tune in? It's available as a podcast, where you get your podcasts, and on YouTube. 
Thanks for watching and listening, everyone. All right, Ali, start. I'm trying to do a serious introduction here. Get out of the way. Um, we're also in the midst of a Kickstarter. If you're listening to and watching this as it goes out, uh, we have a long way to go. We're finishing on Friday. It's for Stone Clearing, which also occasionally crops up on twitch.tv slash RK Herring. And uh, we've just added a couple of new levels, which include a I'm winking at it T-shirt from Ali Sloper. You need me, Richard. I can't get you out of this hole. Shut up, Ali. I'm trying to do this serious thing. And also, you can you can just get that on its own without any of the stone clearing gubbings or just add £20 to whichever level you're on and that can get sent to you. If you donate £150, which is a lot, I know, you'll get everything plus the T-shirt, Ali T-shirt, plus a video message personalised from me to you. You can use it for whatever you want. Me slagging off a friend, happy birthdays or just calling you a fucking idiot. Whatever you like, my friends. And remember, you can still sponsor an episode of Stone Clearing as well and get all of that extra stuff as well anyway that's on rahalastapa.co.uk slash kickstarter please support us all the money we raise will be used to make more online content please if you can afford to do so give us some money if you can't afford to do so please just keep enjoying all of this stuff for free it's free for that reason let the rich pay let those who can't pay enjoy for free this is how everything should be my fine friends let's sit back relax and enjoy rahalastapa with the wonderful Joe Caulfield. Hello! Please welcome a man who's back in the big time. It's Richard Herring. Hello! It's me, Richard Herring, from BBC Two's Comedians Home Alone. You've all seen me on it. It was good. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Lockdown Slowly Terminating Podcast. Uh, not for comedians, obviously. We'll be fucking locked up in... At houses for a good six months yet, at least. Uh, but uh, I was hanging around with all the people on Twitter making uh, the Rishi Sunak joke about eat out to help out. And all of them were doing the same joke. It was brilliant. And all of the people who do that, they call it Rahalistaba. So hopefully that'll catch on. Um, what's been going on? So, yeah, I've been back on the I've been back on the telly the week we recorded this. Um, and there's some more TV coming up. I'm not allowed to talk about it. It's very exciting. I'm back in a big time The Minute I was on BBC Two this week, the phone was lighting up. Does anyone know how to turn the torch off on the phone? I can't do it. I'm an old man, both in terms of that joke and doing that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's uh, very exciting. Snoo- me, me one versus me two snooker uh, on the table. So I expect there'll be, you know, there's usually a, a few hundred people watching this. I expect it will be half a million today. Uh, it's currently on 132, but let's not worry about that. It will, it'll be, it will bump up due to my immense fame um and i'm turning 53 this weekend this is the last rohelist i will do as a 52 year old man um so it's i'm only seven years from oh shit i'm 60 i've got to decide on the name i think it's probably gonna be oh shit i'm 60 so it's you know i'm working is i'm doing one at edinburgh show every 10 years now that's my my plan which might be the next time edinburgh's back on anyway uh and uh thanks to everyone for watching on this remember you can subscribe on twitch uh, if you're with Amazon Prime, you can subscribe for no cost to yourself by linking your accounts. There are various videos to help you explain that. Um, you can become a monthly badger at gofasterstripe.com slash badges and get all sorts of extras, uh, including a membership pack and all sorts of things. And you can buy books and DVDs at gofasterstripe.com if you want to help us out. Um, I'm also tomorrow, if you're watching this live, uh, I'm planning on probably 7.30 or 8 doing a new double act where I do a double act with uh, my terrifying ventriloquist dummy, Ali. Uh, here he is. <laughs> Hello there, it's me. I, 
Ali, I've not practiced it. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna prepare anything. I'm just gonna do all my practice live on Twitch until I become a fantastic ventriloquist. Look, you're another thucker. You're another thucker, Richard. Shut up, Ali. You're spoiling everything. And then I'm gonna release that as an audio podcast because I think there's not enough ventriloquism in audio format, and that is my strong belief. Anyway, look, we're gonna crack on. I don't think I've got anything else to talk to you about. I went to the zoo. It was great. Um. My son nearly ran into the road. It was terrific. Uh, that was that was the that was the fun part of it. Uh, we haven't killed him yet. We've still got him so far. As as we speak, he's still alive. So far. we're doing a great job. My guest this week is probably best known for her role as the cloakroom attendant <laughs> in Get Real. That's why we're all here watching tonight to see the cloakroom attendant from Get Real, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Joe Caulfield. Here she is. She's there. Hello. Lovely to see you. Hello. Wow. That is such a of all the things you're going to say, and I remember it really clearly because I had one line and I got right. it. I got it wrong, <laughs> and I and I remember the line because it was uh, the guy came up and it was and I had to go in a sarcastic way, um, a leather jacket with a tie, but I went a tie with a leather jacket, and the writer went no 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 it's the other way around. I still can't work, remember which way around it was because either way I thought it doesn't you know it doesn't make it funnier or less funny, but he was very sure. <laughs> And I only had was it was it a studio sitcom or was it uh, yeah studio sitcom studio yeah. so do you had to stop the recording in front of the audience yeah. and do it again yeah oh, and this dear. person with one line has fucked up a one line yeah no I felt yeah. awful yeah it was Britain's answer to Friends yeah and some of the story or no actually Seinfeld Seinfeld was yeah it. and some of the storylines I believe had actually been <laughs> in Seinfeld <laughs> yes. <laughs> That is a very good answer. That's the kind of answer you want when you're doing an answer to an American show. <laughs> Just the same same answer to the same question. So, look, it's love, lovely to have you on. Um, there's a lot of stuff to talk to you about. I mean, no, we've it, it, looking at you, it seems impossible to believe it, but you've been doing stand-up for quite a, since the last century. Quarter the last century, millennium. let's say it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's incredible. And, and, and I think what I... Well, I hadn't even fully appreciated. I know you do lots of shows, but you've more or less done a show in Edinburgh nearly every year since the beginning of this century. So 2001, I think, maybe was your first uh, yeah, full-length Edinburgh show. I do it by rooms. That's how okay. I remember. Because <laughs> I remember each of the rooms, and I think I stopped counting 12, because then I right. repeated rooms. So when I got to the stand venues, when I realised, oh, this is how you can make money. Uh, out of it and that then I did several rooms again and so I've really yeah I don't know now well it seemed to me looking at your I I think you might have done 17 fringe shows your Wikipedia page lists 16 but I think you did one in 2019 that isn't yes I did there so it's nearly every year since Mm. 2001 which is quite there aren't many people people always say to me oh you've done you know you must be you've done the record but I haven't there are other people who've done pretty much every year uh, but that's uh, that's quite astonishing to have done that many shows. But as you and, know, I do think the more you do it, the more you know how to put together a show. And the more, like when people are going, oh, my show's really, really going to be ready for 2021. I'm still going, no, I'll still sort of start it in May, you know, yeah. <laughs> next year. Because <laughs> if I do it before that, it's just not got that rush of panic, you know. And I think my audience can feel that in the jokes and they enjoy yeah. that energy of going, Wow, she really did just fucking chug it together. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm the same because I usually tour mine till um, 
you know, May or June. And then, I, then as the minute I finish the tour, I start work on the new one. I think it is two months is enough time to. Yeah, as long as you're, yeah, it is. If you're the sort of person who go, I'm going to put in previews and then I just have to stay this stuff. Yeah. There's no being nice to yourself or going, well, I do a bit. No, you have to just get it out there. And and then, like, it always amazes me what I thought would be the show in May to what then becomes the show. And then sometimes that stuff you thought was the show, maybe two years later, you go, oh, actually, I could do that now because I know what I did wrong before. Yeah. 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 Um, and were you planning on was that was there a plan to do this year's fringe? Was that, that yes. was, you were you were working yeah, on yeah, a show? I, I had, I had or you weren't you weren't. <laughs> I'd still I'd almost started early this year. Right. And so when we went into lockdown, I was very half heartedly trying out new stuff, going, please let it be cancelled. Please I, I was really, you know, like going to school, going, Oh, let it be a snow day and we've all got to go home. Um because I I kind of felt like a did want a break although every time I do it then I really enjoy it so and I have new material that I'm excited about so then I want to have that feeling again yeah and you live in Edinburgh so you don't have to worry about the uh, accommodation costs I'm at home for a month yeah but that's happening anyway so that's great (laughs) (laughs) that's true I put down a deposit on the on my flat and then they said to me they rang me up and this was a it was a little bit before the lockdown happened and they, then they got back and said, oh, look, would you like, if we'll give you 10% off if you pay everything up front. So we paid everything up front. Mm. And then the next day I went, oh, there is that virus coming. I wonder if that's going to affect things. And then they, they, agree, they agreed that they should pay the money back, but they don't have any money to pay me back. So have they spent the money? And they went, well, we put it down on a holiday because it's going to be cheaper if we paid everything up front. So Well, it's a letter. It's actually a letter agency right. who obviously are, are then are screwed, aren't they? They're going to go out of business. So that's that's... Yeah, five grand, five grand for ten nights. It was down the toilet. There we go. I worked for the other day that I didn't even know existed, and it is just festivals is what they specialise in. And I was like, wow, well, you're going to go bust, aren't you? But it was sort of festivals all over the world, you know. Luckily, they did prepare for this by charging six months rent for a month for the last twenty years, though. So they should be okay. They should be well prepared. They're like Joe's from the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Someone said there'll be one bad year. Yeah. All you have to do is charge six years, That's six it. months yeah. rent for every month yeah. <laughs> for 15 years, and we should be fine. Um, so let's go back to the beginning of Joe Caulfield oh. um, many years ago. Uh, you were born in Wales to Irish parents. Then you moved to London when you were a teenager, mm-hmm. and now you live in Scotland. So you, you've done – you've you've ticked every box of the British Isles. Um, and you, I've seen a clip of you on Facebook playing drums in a rockabilly band. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. So when you were 17, uh, I was, uh, well, I think I was about 20 then. Um, but that was my, but I did move to London when I was 17 in a very, um, (laughs) you know, when you go, God, there was just no parental control at all. I, I just thought I didn't really, I did like school. And then I went, that's enough isn't it? That's enough. And so I came to London and uh, I think, well, I went on holiday first with some friends on a bus. This is how long it was. You got a bus all the way to Greece. And it took three days and three days back as your tan faded. And, but I just stayed in, I went to stay with my sister and I got a job in a hotel. So I I kind of thought, oh, I'm sorted because the job also had accommodation in a hostel. So I was like, I'm set for life. Um, And I can go out to loads of rockabilly gigs and there's a much bigger scene here. And, uh, and so then I was in the band and my mate who 
who sent me that clip because I had no idea there was anything on tape. And he said he's got several videos, but he's getting wow. So I, it was so, it was really was like looking at another person. I was like, oh my, because in my head, I couldn't really play or do it. And I was like, oh my God, I am actually playing. I am You were good. And I'm in time and very enthusiastic. And, <laughs> and, and I thought very on brand when it comes to yeah. solo. I go, let's pop. You know, I was like, oh, it's really, really unoriginal now. hack. As a rock bullet to do that, but no, it was kind of thrilling in a kind of oh, look at you doing that. That's it, like yeah. Person, yeah. And you were staying living in squats in in London. Yeah, this was it was the eighties. Well, I was in this hostel where because I was a breakfast waitress, and then I quickly realised that that meant you had to get up at half past five in the morning, so that curtailed nightlife. Right. So uh, I went out, left that job, but so then I didn't have anywhere to live, and a friend of mine. Her sister was in a squat and she was staying there. So she said, they sort of took me in because there wasn't a room in the squat. But a lot of people lived in them then. They were legal squats. Yeah. This was in Kilburn right. Park, lovely big Victorian houses. And you paid uh, your uh, electricity, you paid and gas. So you paid that, but you didn't pay rent. And you could do what you liked with them until whoever owned it decided they wanted to do something with it or it was knocked down. But everybody in the house, it was very... It was very sort of young onesie. It was people I'd never met like before. They were always marching about something. And one of them worked in Neil's yard and made wholemeal bread, which I thought was so hippie-ish. And I was suspicious of her. And um, <laughs> my friend, her family were originally from South Africa. Her dad, and I imagine how difficult this was. Her dad was black and her mum was white. And they had got together at university in South Africa. So an illegal relationship, basically. So then they'd come over here. So her, obviously my mate and her sister were very, very into, we did a lot of freeing Nelson Mandela marches and there were various sort of black consciousness. And, and I do remember once and they had brown sugar. And I thought, oh, is that because of the race thing? Like you don't want to ask for white sugar. It's like it was all a minefield. But it, yeah. there was two men were jugglers. And you were like, what the hell? What the fuck is that being a juggler? Um, and I didn't have a room. I just had a bit of corridor <laughs> that I was my, and I do remember it was snowing. It was, and they gave me their coats and, you know, and you go, this is really like something from a terrible Dickens film of buying <laughs> their coats. But, uh, but it was very, at the same time, it was a very sort of happy, jolly time. Yeah. It's weird. Squats were that, were a thing in the eighties. I, I moved to London right at the end of the eighties and I, there were people, in, I wasn't in a squat, but there were people in squats. And then that sort of just, I mean, there are squatters, I suppose, occasionally, but it sort of disappeared as a, as a lifestyle choice in the, in the way it was in the eighties anyway. Yeah. I think, and the eighties was, it's only now you go, it was sort of a time of, um, you know, sort of everybody I was on the dole and working and being creative at the same time. It was just seemed like there was a lot of, um, you know, and it sounds terrible. She goes, but Margaret Thatcher, she was terrible. Go, yeah, but actually, it was a lot more freedom, I think, than there is now for young people. Well, it was possible to come to London. Yeah, it was possible to be, be in London. Yeah, yeah, had no yeah. money. London was cheap, really cheap. Yeah. yeah. And you were on. I, I heard on one of the things I was listening to. You were, you were on the Enterprise Allowance, which I was as well. I, I went on the Enterprise Allowance as a comedian. You went on to run a vintage clothes yeah. store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this was the thing: if you put down a certain amount of money, thousand they pounds. would thousand pounds to put in, and then they would give you the dole, basically a bit more that every every week, and 
even if you earned money, you would you didn't have to stop getting the the money from the government, the assistant from the government. It was quite a lot of comedians did it, I think. Um, yeah. as to, to be comedians, I remember. Yes, I remember Jeremy Hardy saying that he did it. Yeah, so I, I yeah, so I did it to uh, open a vintage clothes shop in Camberwell with a friend. And yeah, and I think and you got your housing benefit as well. That was a great. Thing. Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and then that, then I realised that I was working in a shop and I was really bored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I stopped that. You know, it was just a succession of oh, try this. Oh, that's shit. Oh, try this. Oh no, you don't want to be doing that. So then I sort of I started waitressing again when I was about twenty five. <laughs> Right. Okay. <laughs> really slow developer to kind of go, or oh, you need to have some sort of plan in life. I had no idea, you know. Yeah, I mean, twenty five is not. I mean, it's it's okay to doss around till you're twenty five. I think. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Because I did it till I was about twenty eight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize everyone was younger than me, and I, I felt sort of cheated by friends who I was waitressing with. So you'd you'd waitress, and it would be very high pressure. It was in the West End. And um, but you could earn quite a lot of money on tips, and then you'd go out every night and spend it. And I didn't realise that other people at the same time were going to university and doing courses and stuff. And then they all went off and got jobs. So I was like, nobody told me, you know. You <laughs> all had plans. I thought we were all in this happy, you know, just make a mess of our lives together thing. <laughs> so how did you make the switch from waitressing to to stand up? I did because I didn't really know. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I th- I thought I wanted to do something funny, um, but I didn't really I didn't really know stand up was a thing uh, in terms of comedy clubs. I didn't go to comedy sure. clubs, but then I went to drama school for a year. Uh, I did a postgraduate course, even though I wasn't a graduate, um, and I was I think it was the last year that you could get a grant. So I got a grant for one year. So I feel I'm owed three years more grant money and uh it was terrible drama school uh east 15 okay now i've heard of loughton um i think the only thing the famous people there who went there are ruby wax okay uh harry um harry corbett um okay yeah (laughs) okay and damon uh from blur damon what a year that was those two were together (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) For all the <laughs> so it was terrible in that uh, yeah. it was one of those places. I think it was it, it was all method. So the younger people they did terrible things like they would break them down. That was all their theory, and they would take them to this place in Yorkshire, and they made them play Nazis and Jews. But you had to do it for like two weeks, you know, hunt each other, <laughs> and you know. But postgrad because we were older, we didn't have to do that sort of thing. Right. Or we would go, no, I'm not doing it. Although there was, when we were doing Chekhov, there was a man who was such a lovely man and he, he had worked in GCHQ all his life and then he'd retired and he wanted to be an actor. So he was 60 something, but he was a big drinker. And when we did Chekhov, he went method and all he ate was bulbs of garlic and drank vodka and he died. I was going to say that's I know it's I always think but he died he really died doing what he loved he really did he sort of came out in postures from the garlic because it apparently yeah and then he died I mean that's really method for Chekhov isn't it that is really yeah, you know that's properly I'm going to do Chekhov properly. yeah I can't act this until I've actually died myself yeah, of, yeah. of poverty he died in winter and must not notice and just let it go. yeah <laughs> 
Oh my goodness! And so you did that, and then you oh, thought, "Well, that's one where, of the- um, it was an exercise." I think it was the voice. Yeah. One of the voice coaches said, "As an exercise, think of um, a stand-up comedy routine." Right. Um, and a couple of people did it each week, and that was the first thing I thought. Well, I'm taking this very seriously, so I was really working out what my routine was. Whereas other people were just standing up and saying stuff, and I was going, "Oh, this is right. rubbish." And so I thought about my stories, and then when I did it, I knew it was good compared to everybody else, because nobody else had given it any thought at all. Sure. Um, and so that, and I thought, right, I'm going to find out where you do this and how you do it. And I went to the comedy cafe and they had the new act night. Somebody else had told me about it. And so I went and saw what it was. And then the next uh, month or something, I still gave myself a lot of time to come up with my five minutes. And then I went and did it there right. for the first time. Yeah. And I was uh, terrified um, but I think uh, I was slightly less because I'd done a bit of acting. I'd I was a bit more confident on stage than other people. So everybody was terrible, but I was the most confident of the terrible people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I won the competition. I think that happens to a lot of people. Your first gig is great because you're full yeah, of adrenaline yeah. and you're stupid. You don't know what you should be afraid of. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I won the competition. And I remember the comics that were there that night and everything. And then you had to come back next week. And you got 25 quid, which was good. And uh, the next week, of course, I did completely different material because I didn't know right. that you could just keep doing that 10 minutes. And then that wasn't as good. But I was, it was too late. I was, I was hooked. I already yeah. thought, no, I think this is it. Yeah. Great. Good. Well, yeah, that's, that's – and, yeah, and, and then you've obviously established yourself. Uh, and you've done, you've done a lot of the – that the sort of consultant work on shows, which oh, yeah. generally basically means <laughs> just writing the show for the comedians, right? So, if you ever see program consultants in a tight in the as the titles spew up, yeah, that's basically the people writing the jokes for the stars, so that you don't think they're having their lines written for them. But you've 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 written for quite a lot of well, quite a variety of people, according to Wikipedia. Yeah. I don't know if they're all true. Yeah. Uh, Graham Norton, which I knew yeah. worked on, you worked on so Graham that, Norton. Yeah. Uh, Joan Rivers, which was yeah. very exciting. Anne Robinson. Yeah. So did you write for The, the Weakest Link? No, I wrote for, uh, was it called What's the Problem? Marcus oh, yes. did it as well. Okay, yeah. He yeah. was a, one of the presenters. And so I was to write jokes for her. And she was, um, she was I, I sort of liked it in a weird way because she's so rude to people. <laughs> yeah. I remember, and but in an odd way where you go, I don't even know what that means. But we were in the room together and I stood up and she went, oh, you're really tall. She goes, you're like the newsreader, Peter Sissons. You're really tall and dull. I don't know why you have to slag Peter off as well as me. (laughs) Two for the price of one. And I think at the time, Um, like, I wasn't even 40, but she kept talking about us menopausal women. I was like, And she, but she just had a lot of surgery, so she did a lot of showing us her surgery, which obviously I liked immensely, being able to look at somebody really close up. Um, yeah. And she was kind of one of those people, a bit like Ruby Wax. Like she's just, she's just so direct, but um, she can take it as well. Like you could do right. to her. Um, and then I learned the things she says. She goes, "You have to uh, Annie everything," which basically means you have to put pauses. Seemed to me in all the places you have to put commas in the places that stop it being a joke. That's <laughs> what it seemed like. Well, I always thought that about it. In, in the weeks, like I always thought she's pretty poor. She's been given these lines, 
And she's not coming up with them. She's obviously been given them and she's pretty poor at delivering them. I'd be quite annoyed if I was writing for her because I think, mm. you know, I, you'd be thinking I could do, you know, I think you're putting you, <laughs> Joe Caulfield, yeah. into whatever show that was. You'd be better than yeah. Anne Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> certainly be funnier than Anne Robinson. Uh, but it, it is that sort of weird... I mean, you've written for, uh, well, we should talk about Joan Rivers as well, though. I must be excited. But Anton Deck, you've written for Denise Van Outen. Have you written for Yeah, Denise that? Van Outen. I can't remember how yes. I got, I got a, that job was interesting. It was, what was it called? It's called Something for the Weekend. And it okay. was a kind of sexy, sassy, a bit like a sort of uh, TGI Friday, but with her. And so they wanted to do the kind of games that Graham was doing in his show. Okay. Um, that were a bit, I remember we did have one called Penis Lineup. Um, uh, and it was exactly that, you know, <laughs> and things. So it was writing jokes for her. And then she, but it was a bit like she wanted to do everything. She wanted to do sketches and she wanted to sing a song and dance because she can do all those things. But, and then Melinda Messenger came on to be in the sketches. And, and it was just really weird to be in an office with Denise Van Out and Melinda Messenger and just go, this is weird because you're the other type of women. You don't, you know, and slightly <laughs> resentful going, you don't need to be funny. You know, this is for my type of women. Um, but I really did like Denise Van Outen. Um, she was quite yeah. wild. She was always going out drinking a lot then. She was a lot younger and stuff. So the producers are all like, oh, Denise is, you know, not come home yet <laughs> stuff. Um, but I did like her and I thought she was a grafter and I, I liked that about her. And she had, she had a lot of style to her. Sure, yeah. No, and it, for what it was, it, I'm sure younger people liked it. And they did that, you know, when they were filming it, they did that terrible thing that they do where they pick out attractive people and push unattractive people to the back of the studio, you know. And you can see the unattractive people not knowing why they're being moved and then they see <laughs> the people being moved in their place and then they go, oh, right, that's why, yeah. Wow. And then they just turn that and that's now a show, isn't it? That, that, that's that, oh, that someone thought, hey, why are we just doing that with the audience? We could <laughs> yeah, make that a TV why don't show. We just put the camera on the ugly <laughs> <laughs> It was a weird time in that, I guess, you know, there weren't loads of female stand ups in the 90s and early 2000s. There were some, but it was like the, the, the women that got onto TV to do comedy things were generally not comedians. Obviously, Joe Brown was getting on and Jenny Eclair did a bits and pieces and different shows. But there was a lot of that kind of, oh, let's find a, an, a you know, Attract- someone who isn't really a comedian. attractive yeah. woman and yeah. give her some lines. Yeah, Melinda Messenger, yes. is, is, who seems lovely, I've met her, but, yeah. you know, she's not, no. I don't think she's going to be the funniest person in the world. No. That's not what she's known for. No. <laughs> so was that frustrating to be I mean obviously it's fairly early in your no, career yeah. so, you... so I was just thrilled to get a writing job you know so yeah. uh, not at all and it was interesting and and sort of funny to be around it and see how it all works so uh no no I wasn't you know I didn't remotely think oh right, that should be me you know especially not when I saw her you know come dancing down the set I was like oh god I'm fucking gonna be there um so no and then uh Anton Deck was a football show um, and we thought of the format of the football show, and and it was the FA Cup, but it happened to be Arsenal versus Newcastle. So they were Newcastle fans. So it was it was probably one of their first we'll go on as adults jobs, and they were just so nice. And I still love them. I was always, and I think they're really good as well. I still think they have a lovely chemistry. So they were actually really nice and really fun, and. Uh, uh, yeah, and there wasn't much to say. And they do, if you give them a good joke, they appreciated it and they didn't mess it up. Yeah, yeah. that's good. 
And what about Joan Rivers then, which, who we did mention that list? What were you? Yeah, Joan was, um, she was the, early on with Graham Norton, she was on there a lot because when Graham first started, he wasn't well known. So it was difficult to get guests, you know. So if you could get a guest, then we would have them a lot. And so Joan was on a lot. And then it was his TV company wanted to do a pilot with her. So it was writing jokes for that, for the pilot. And, um, and so it was me and the other writer, and we gave in a list of jokes. And then, then she picked uh, a couple of my jokes, and you're like, oh, it's, that is very thrilling. And when you're on that kind of show, like you're not meant to uh, talk to the guests and everything because you're just another person annoying them, you know. But she was the only person that I kind of went up because I had both her books um, and kind of asked her to sign them and that. And, of course, she's very good at, at being professional like that and – and it's funny, you notice, you learn things about people who are really big stars. Uh, like when, and this is when Graham got great guests, when Dolly Parton was on, I remember she, you go, God, she's a star because it was almost like you could smell her before she came in the studio. There was a smell. And then Dolly, she came in for rehearsal, which she didn't have to. She came in for rehearsal. Dolly arrived with her people. And she was so like... You know, if you've got overly down to earth, she has down to earth, down pat with the cameraman, with everybody just finally loved her. And she had a little line for everybody. And then she, well, after the show, and it was all like, yeah, we'll have drinks, we'll have fun. No, she was gone like that. Right. <laughs> and it was funny, it was Graham said, and he said, I don't care if it's fake. She's so good at faking it. <laughs> so good at faking it that you really felt, <gasps> you know, she looks at you. It's like she's really looking at you, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting when someone's that famous, I think, isn't it, that they you either I, – I really am fascinated by the way that people deal with fame and some people get, oh, this is – they get famous because it's what they always wanted and then they hate all yeah. the attention that they're getting. <laughs> they can't escape from it. And some people sort of play the role and are, are very happy to and good to, to do all the stuff. But that's the way to keep your career going, you know, even if it is a cynical thing. That's the way to keep your career going. If you go – you know, this is a moment. If you're Dolly Parton yeah. – Someone meeting you, this is the moment they'll, as you are, you'll be talking about 10, 15, 20 years later. (laughs) And so you'd either go, and I'm sure you could tell us stories, which you can do, but you don't have to, of people who came on those shows and were horrible or were were weird or, you know, who who weren't friendly. Uh, and and that's why someone gets that longevity, I guess, is that if they if they, yeah, they, if they play up to the role. Yeah, that it's also that's part of their job and talking to people and people coming up to you. And I mean, you know yourself that people you can be standing next to like a comic who's done really, really well. And people come up and some people are really good and some people really, really don't like it. You know, and then that becomes a weird problem that you've got this thing, but you don't like this bit of it, you know. Yeah. I always think it's sort of part of, I mean, I don't have enough, so it's fine. I mean, people are always like, oh, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, oh, you recognise me? I'm fucking thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, Let me ask you some questions that have nothing to do with you. Uh This is a question I want. I think you're a good person to ask about this. I've been, um, I want to ask a question about my my bowls in my house, okay, and see whether you could give me some advice on this. I've got, we moved into this house three years ago. We bought eight I'd say cereal bowls, right, which is too many cereal bowls, but, you know, they're in rotation. Mm-hmm. Now, a couple of them have got chipped. Not badly. They're still usable, but they're chipped. And I can't work out whether I should – so I've got eight bowls. Should I put the chipped ones at the bottom, at the back? There's two rows of four, basically. Or should I – what would you do? Would you put Would you put the chipped ones at the back and then use them when you had to? Or would you put them at the front and use them more 
because then they if they get chipped again it won't matter if they get broken it won't matter as much what would you do in that oh, bowl situation i feel if you're making yourself use the chipped bowls it's like you're punishing yeah. yourself i feel, I, I do if feel I was some that. sort of therapist i'd go why do you think you don't deserve a nice bowl richard yeah so i would yeah i would put the the chipped ones right at the back or yeah. also because i like gardening i would yeah, i i if i chip something great or a yeah. mug i take it in the garden smash it up and that's my you know, put it in my, uh, with, for my pots as drainage. But it's still usable. See, with pants as well, if I've got if I've got some really nice new pants and I've got pants that are quite old, I'll often wear that. You know, you think, well, I'll wear the old ones because I don't want to wear out the new good ones, and if, and I'll just wear the old ones until they fall apart, and then I'll wear the new ones. But then I never end up wearing the new ones because the old ones, you know, they they hang together yeah. for quite a long time. There's something happens no? where you haven't been. I've I'm so past <laughs> that now. I'm so are all you? about spoiling myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So going, no, throw the old pants away. I used to be like that. It's very freeing yeah. to just do that. Uh, you know, how much spare money have you got? Go throwing pants away and bowls, <laughs> smashing bowls up because they're a bit chipped. <laughs> See, like if you use the bowl, if I get, if I drop that bowl, I go, oh, that's fine. I've dropped the bowl that didn't matter. But if I drop one of the remaining six, there's probably two, one's more chipped than the other, one's slightly chipped, and the six, they're still good. But, you know, if I had guests around, I wouldn't give the guests the chip. Are they expensive bowls, though? See, I don't know. No, no, not bowls. at all. No, no, not yeah. really. I mean, they're from John Lewis, but they're not. Yeah. They were the cheap end of John Lewis. Fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Use the, give yourself a nice bowl. Yeah. Okay. But have, right, those, that's good advice. Mean, have the other ones just in case. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you'll go, we've no, no, now only got three of those bowls because Joe Caulfield said to chuck out the chipped ones. Yeah. I'm going to keep them. I'll definitely keep them. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, how much in lockdown have you, I've realized I only in the lockdown, I think I've only put on proper trousers. Well, now twice, but the first time I put on like, and then when I say proper trousers, I mean jeans. I've been wearing uh, swimming trunks, jogging bottoms, uh, cycling shorts I'm wearing today. Uh, anything but like proper trousers. You've been, have you been dressing yourself properly during lockdown or have you been like me and I only put on proper trousers last weekend because we had guests coming? 
<laughs> and I didn't know them quite well enough to be just wearing my grey jogging bottoms. Well, uh, the thing that happened, of course, in Scotland, which was so weird, as soon as it got locked down, so people couldn't come to Scotland, the weather turned and we had two months right. of dry, sunny days every day. Okay. Amazing. So, yeah, so I was wearing like summer clothes. So I was wearing oh. like, summer dresses and and shorts and enjoying that I could wear summer clothes, which you don't often get to do in Scotland. So in that way, yes, I was dressing. And um, yeah, I still, no, I, I, I'm not really... You've held, you've held it together. Yeah, not really a great one for... Because I'm... Yeah, I like my clothes. So I want to wear I've them. let it fall apart. I've realised that, you know, I'm walking down the shops. I was walking to the shops. I was walking to the wreck with my son, actually. Mm. And we were going to pass the shop on the way. And I was wearing swimming trunks. Uh, a black and white striped thing and a leather jacket. I mean, I looked insane. Yeah. I just like I've got to the point. Like I just put on three things <laughs> like, like from a fancy dress box. And I'm a 52-year-old man walking. They must think, who's that weird man who hasn't cut his hair? when well, I can't cut my yeah. hair. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, you're like your son, you're but one dress yourself day. My husband, <laughs> I've worn my favourite clothes. and goes, oh, is it dress yourself day? Because <laughs> I go, no, I just wanted to wear it today for no reason at all. Yeah, but I've been sort of deliriously uh, happy in lockdown as well. Yeah. I've enjoyed yeah. it a lot. It's been, yeah, I mean, the only, I mean, there's a few downsides. I, I did hear you talking about this on uh, Desert Island Dicks, which mm. you were very good on. Um, but, uh, yeah, as a comedian, obviously, you're not performing. For a little while, that's kind of nice. And I think for you, you were saying that, obviously, there's a lot of travel involved mm. for you because you're living in Edinburgh and coming and gigging in London and Manchester, I'm guessing, quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, so there was a lot. And I, I suppose I hadn't realised how much I'd been travelling. Yeah. And also, I was doing this sort of route because my mum is 89 and lives in Leicestershire. So I was always doing a route where at least month to month, I've got to go via her and up, you know. Um, so it's really <laughs> it's really great that I can't see her at the moment. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of it's awful to say yeah. these, but you know, I I feel you know yeah. I don't I well I've just gotten to the point where I don't I live in the countryside now and I don't socialise very much I anyway. Know I'm you probably countryside. I, I live in oh. uh, I just live out I live out in Hertfordshire now, so it's um you know, and I don't really go out very much. I do I go out to do gigs, which right. is enough for me. That's enough sort of socialising. My wife goes out a bit and sees her friends. I'm actually socialising more because I'm doing sort of Zoom chats and doing this show on Zoom. Yeah. And uh, it's all right, you know, so that's enough for me. And then, you know, I think you were saying on that, you could just have, you could get drunk with your friends and then go to bed. Yeah, and I quite exactly. like that. Yeah, and so, no, <laughs> no, and like you say, for you, you don't have to wear trousers to see your friends. Yeah. You enjoy I've got, that. I've got my, no trousers, yeah. I've got my cycling shorts on. No, it's I don't really even nice. And also I found, I kind of found out who I like talking to as well, you know. <laughs> and other people, if you, if you go, oh, I've got to phone them, you go, well, I don't phone them. But there's other people, yeah. And I have, well, you've been doing. I have managed to work as well. Which is interesting. Yes, yeah. you've been doing some stuff in in lockdown. So, what have you? I, so I just was watching you on Facebook, uh, t- talking to your car insurance or your yes. insurance yes. people as a sketch. I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, very good. It's very good. It's hard to tell whether it's real or not. Oh, so that's it's, good. Uh, yeah. I got I got a clue because you, your 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 name you use for your husband is not your his real his real name, and I know that. So I thought, okay, definitely, it's definitely, it's definitely not her just filming herself on the phone. But yeah, so you've been doing sketches and obviously doing other podcasts and things. What what? And have you done any gigs? Yeah, done some Zoom gigs. Um, I mean, the first gigs we did um, were those ones. I think where I can't even remember what they were, but it was they where they would say, "Oh, it's streaming." But as far as I'm concerned, it's just me talking at my computer, and you feel like a crazy person 
because you don't know anybody's there and it's weird. And then the first Zoom gig I did, I was like, oh my God, I was so high from it, from just people hearing people laugh. Um, but they're not always as well managed. Like I did one the other night, lovely guy runs very good gigs, um, out of bounds gigs. And, but he was the first one. So they hadn't worked out who to mute and unmute in the audience. And so they had unmuted quite a lot of people. And there was a man with, um, and I thought, what a quite an old fashioned way to eat, I thought. So he's got a, a, obviously quite a ceramic plate and a steel knife and fork. And he's clang, 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 clang. So every time he did that, it went yellow to him. It came off the comedian. It went to him. <laughs> eating like that so i had to phone the guy running the gig and go do you know it keeps moving he's going i know but i don't know i can't stop him i can't find him to and then and there was a dog and then the other thing with it can be i'm settling in zoom gigs one thing i like is that you can you can see people sitting in their homes obviously i love yeah. that because i can judge their furnishings so i enjoy that very much but also you can see what they're doing and the other night a man got up in my set got up three times <laughs> I just went out of the room, came back, saw I was still on, went out of the room again. You know, so in that way, again, it's really just you know, I can see you. you know, yeah, it could be worse though. That's the that's the thing I worry about. People on the internet watching a comedy show. How do you stop? Well, it hasn't. Nothing the... like that has happened. I don't no. think. Well, you know, because obviously that I thought that. Well, <laughs> my husband said that. Why do people not get their knobs out? And he goes, because it's not everyone's first thought. You know, but <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. And then the other thing, of course, because of technology, like um, straight away there was a couple of radio shows, and they went, "Oh, you just download this thing," and I bought a mic, so then you can do broadcast quality radio shows and quite quickly. And I do wonder what will change in broadcasting. You go, Oh, so you don't need all these people that you're employing. And then I had yeah. one of those, you know, those talking head shows where they go, Oh, do you remember these clips? And you go, no, Oh, you'll send me them. Then I'll remember. Uh, and, um, and so I was booked to do one of them and they said, Oh, we can still do it. We're going to send you a green screen and a camera and go, oh, what? And I do it. So next thing I'm ironing a green screen, putting it up in my living room with the big tripod they'd sent me, which is quite nice because then I kept all the stuff. And then they controlled, they, I put up a phone and they controlled the phone from London. Wow. Okay. And did it like, and you go, oh, it's incredible. So yeah. in that way. Well, it is, but you know, I also think like the number of meetings, again, I live like a, you know, an hour's drive out of London and you got, you drive mm. into London for one meeting and then drive yeah. home again, got the train in, come back home again. And you just think, I could just, I don't have to do that don't. anymore. I'm not going to ever go, I'm not going in again. You don't need to. <laughs> we just, and exactly, radio, radio interview with BBC Scotland and you go, you know, I don't have to go to a studio somewhere else. No. It's so it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's hopefully, and there's lots of things I think are good. I think, and I hope that I was saying this last week though as well, that I hope like clubs will, the clubs that are live streaming, I hope they'll carry on doing that because even when they've got an audience in, because they've got, a, they've got an audience there around the world who can't get out and see stuff or can't get to Edinburgh to the stand or can't, you know, got kids and can't get out at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they can, they can get this extra revenue from a thousand people around the world watching their, their stand-up show, you know, yeah. which is more than the actual people in the room will be. So I think the other I thing think... that's nice when I've noticed is Zoom, I mean, so obviously some people are, are self-isolating, but but uh, there's quite a lot of single people who are watching the comedy and enjoying it like it's a night out. And that is quite a nice yeah. thing because maybe not go to a comedy club on your own, but you can watch it on yeah. Zoom and have sure. and, and, you know, feel you're part of a communal evening and also the comp can see you and talk to you. Sometimes they'll get to know that person. 
And I think, you know, love might blossom as well. You don't know from other people. I could see that sort of thing happening. Lovely. Yeah. Well, it's not, you know, there's some positives and it's kind of, you know, a lot of people I've talked to are feeling guilty for have having, having had quite a nice time. I think like there've been ups and downs. I think it's interesting as a performer. Again, I wasn't out doing loads and loads of gigs, but I think when you lose that, uh, the the drug of performance. Yeah. I think I'm worried that some comedians wouldn't be able to cope without the the adrenaline and whatever else you're getting from performing. Yeah, there was a lot we of found that, that difficult. There? People, yeah. a lot of that people going, "Oh, we got to look after ourselves and that." And but I thought, God, you know what? I'm sleeping really well because I'm not full of adrenaline. Um, so at first, I kind of I think I had a bit of a rest and a sleep and did my garden and kind of calmed down. And then I did want a bit of attention. So luckily then, you know, there was bits and bobs of work and I've learnt, you know, and then I'm back, yeah, and then I started filming little things and, you know, go and, and Twitter, that feels like work to me. I know it's not work, but I go, oh, I'd put a thing out. And so, and I, I am a bit needy for, you know, I like people to have laughed at something and like it. Like I've got very annoyed by um, on on Facebook and things, on Instagram, when people, you see how many people have looked at something but how yeah. people have fucking liked it. What does it cost you to like it, you bastard? Because I can see how many have looked at it. You go, I had something like 182 views and 12 likes. You go, fuck you, people. <laughs> it just seems rude, at least, you know. Well, it's good to see you back on Twitter. You were banned from Twitter. Can you, can you yes. tell us the story behind this bit, this banning from Twitter? Yes, it was sort of not, strange. you know, because I'm not a great one for reading stuff when people send me things. So I got a warning that I didn't okay. really follow. And then this was last year. And then, right. so then I got suspended. So I just opened another account with a similar name. Right. Um, and then they found it. And, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, a head teacher going, but you, you know, you, just because you're smoking somewhere else doesn't mean you're allowed to smoke. And they said, well, you're, you're, you're banned. And I was like, why am I banned? And they, because you're permanently suspended. So you're banned. Um, but then, so then I was, I realized, oh, I've lost a lot of followers. So I really do want to get them back. How do I do it? My agent hadn't a clue. <laughs> just a lot of people in their 50s going, oh, we don't fucking know. And uh, and I asked somebody, and they were so young, they didn't use Twitter even. Um, <laughs> so uh, then it was, I thought, and that was just by chance. I thought, I'll put it on Facebook. Oh, so, yes, yeah, so I, so it turned out, so what had happened was, this was a while ago, I was on holiday with some friends in Hamburg, and my mate, he had just got, the new iPhone with the portrait mode. And he took a picture of me drinking wine. And and we were like pierced, but going, that's such a good photo. And it was. It was so in focus. And I look like I'm advertising wine. I'm like right there. So I put it up on Twitter. Uh, Try wine. It's fucking great. Right. And a woman complained to me and said that I was encouraging uh, people underage to drink alcohol. Um. So I said I wasn't, and she said, <laughs> well, her daughter had seen it. So I said, fuck off, and <laughs> I got suspended. Um, that's, incre- that's nothing, though. I mean, that is – that's insane. Yeah, and then – but then – How many people happened? have tweeted pitched themselves drinking? I know, yeah, it's crazy. But then um, – uh, 
then I, I, I went through the rigmarole, you know, filled in the form. How do you complain? How do I come back? And, and I thought, this is terrible. I need a person. And that's when I, I per chance put it out on Facebook, per chance, get me. Nice. <laughs> put it out on Facebook to say, oh, if you'd like to get involved, please, you know, tell Twitter that I'm a comedian and whatever I say is meant to be a joke and I'm not uh, offensive. And that was when people like yourself, and other blue tick people got involved. And suddenly I think Twitter went, oh, apparently she's got blue tick friends. Um, so they looked at those and it was, God bless her, Emma Kennedy, who really went for it. And um, she knew somebody and then they got in touch and they were great. And they apologized and said, oh, we, we didn't, you know, the, the algorithms don't know you're a comedian. And they couldn't have then, couldn't have been nicer about it. Right. Yeah. It just see, you know, the things and the the length of time, the people who have been banned from Twitter, the things that they're saying and the length of time they've been going on saying the things that finally get them banned. It sort of seemed just extraordinary that they would. And, you know, and the amount of people on Twitter who are yeah. just saying, have a drink, it's great. Or, you know, yes. like uh, Danny it, Baker does every night, raising a glass yeah. or something every but the night. Thing, the thing that the guy he didn't said, tell someone to fuck it's off. Like we didn't, he said, but also we didn't really, we're not actually looking. It's not a person looking at it. It's just lagging up, you know, fuck off and drink and blah, blah, blah. No. So they've just got, oh, she's got a drink problem. Get her off. <laughs> Get drunk and Larry. You know. <laughs> yeah, so that, 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 is, that is nice. And also, also I like to do it because also you get a diff- lots of different types of people you can learn about. You know, I found out new music. I've, you know, you find out all sorts of stuff on Twitter as well. Yeah. That's good. So... No, it's good, yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, well, it's mainly good. It's, you know, there's a lot of horrible wankers on there as well, but it's, oh. on the whole, it's... Oh, yeah, uh, people do... It's a positive experience. You, but... Yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've had some experiences yes. on there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, that's the sort of weird thing as a comedian. But I think I don't think it's that bad. I think, like, now when I go on Twitter, I'll think about whether it's worth tweeting the thing I'm going to tweet, you know, and I don't think that's a disastrous thing to yeah. do. You know, in, in, the, in the first, when it started, I would tweet whatever the whatever came into my head. And sometimes it was funny and sometimes it's offensive and no one cared back in the early days. But I think if you're made to think, is it worth the 10 people who are going to misunderstand this joke in that's order for the, the 10,000 people who are going to like it? Or, you know, so it's not, I think it's good as a comedian to be, to consider that, which I think most comedians do. I mean, and obviously when we're preparing a stand-up show, you that happens because you go and do your stuff in front of an audience. And if the audience start booing or walking out or not laughing, then you you will drop that bit of material after a few a few attempts. Um, so it's not a bad thing to sort of have a little think about what you're No, I think you do have sometimes. And, and also, or you can get, uh, uh, there's a lot of very, what's the word? Um, you can get on the wrong side of a very what is that word? And when somebody uh, argument without arguing a case, and even the word I'm going to use will offend these people. Uh, and it is that you know where everything's offensive, and yeah. you just go, oh, you you have just taken yourselves far too fucking seriously. I cannot deal with this nonsense. So I want to say, but I go, no, because these people are really into that argument and uh, yeah, yeah. you can't. Well, it's bad for free speech in that sense. That I think some some issues, both sides of the argument will 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 jump on everything. And, you know, it happened with political things. And it happens with, uh, you know, social politics as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and it means if you're not discussing, if you're not even able to discuss it and ask the questions and say, is this definitely right? Is this definitely right? Or I'm confused. Then, then no one's going to learn anything, and no one's going to get anywhere with it. So it's a, it's a very when those subjects come up that people 
don't want to touch because they think it's not worth the hassle, then it's it's bad for the for the subjects. I think. But anyway, yeah. never mind. Let's not let's not get no, ourselves no, down that rabbit no. hole again. Um, I keep on doing it, and I'm not going to go back again. Uh, I came up and did. I think I got cut out of the show in the end, but I came up and did your uh, storytelling. You do a regular, or are you still doing that storytelling uh, we, show? No, we did do it. We did it for a while, and then yeah. we ran out of people to tell stories. <laughs> and then you, yeah, I came up. I came up to Scotland. Then the producer and said, "We're not using your bit. Thanks for coming. <sighs> Goodbye." <sighs> <laughs> I don't think I was particularly good, but I don't think it was because I was I wasn't particularly good. I think you genuinely had some reason I wasn't in the show, but it was fun though. I enjoyed yeah, it. It was a great. Uh, it was a nice idea. We only got one yeah. series. Were you doing it as a? Uh, you were doing it anyway doing with, it before anyway, it was a show. As a yeah. show which, I thought it was a really nice idea. It was a really nice idea, and people really liked it because they were like, "Oh, we've been looking for something that's a bit more than comedy." Um, but also might be funny, but doesn't have to be. So, you know, a couple of things were a bit harrowing and, and some things were just crazy. Like the woman who, who was, had been training for the Olympics to do that ribboned uh, gymnastics. Um, and so she came and told the story, you know, and it was a bit kind of, who's that one? Is it Tanya Harding, the skater who got, you know, yeah. she'd had a big rival in the okay. gymnastics, but she did all the gym. Which, and I've, I find that so funny just to watch that ribbon thing and the way they take it seriously. Um, but she knew it was quite a funny thing as well. So she did that and uh, and people could do it with songs or they could do it in a um, little play. Uh, some guy did it as uh, he was a proper performance artist, you know, so it was very, ooh, and all of that. So people who, who won a bit of art, but not too arty, they loved it, you know, because everything was short as well. So it wasn't like you're going, oh, God, we wanted some art, but this is so arty. Um, it was like short bits and uh, and it, it was fun, yeah. yeah. But then we did just, it became hard. We thought we're putting on this show isn't good enough now we need to find some more people to do it yeah and i had run out of stories nothing was happening to me you know yeah well that's the problem that's the problem with stories they they, they, well you know you you can definitely come up with new stories as you do every year but um richard who's the producer he uh, he he got me up for another show in scotland did he cut you uh and he cut me out of that as well and I had to pay to be in that show. That was the over fifties, the over fifties comedian show. Yes. And then they they were trying they were trying to pitch it. Yeah. It was John Maloney and various other. But it was a great fun night. Yeah, it was really, really was good. Fun. I had to I had to pay to be yeah. in, on the show. Yeah. And then they put it out. But then it was for Scottish TV, and they wanted Scottish comedians. So yeah. They only put the Scottish oh, you had to comedians. Talk in. about because I talked about Scotland. So I, I did talk about yeah. Scotland. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, well, and you're, you live in, so I think you count as a Scottish yes. comedian, even though you're not Scottish. Yeah, you're Scottish. yeah. So, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, I so want to get you to come up and do something and cut you out. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's a long way to come to, you know. But you always have a nice he's cost car, me, <laughs> He's cost me money. I got paid for your thing. <laughs> didn't get paid for the other thing. It was very, and I had to go with well, that one. I was doing something in Norwich and then Glasgow and then somewhere. And it was a real fucking pain in the ass yeah. to come up for the, for the second one. Your one was yeah. delightful. It was, a, it was, a, we had a little drink afterwards. It was lots of fun. Yeah. Um, let me ask you some more, more emergency questions. I will ask you this one from my top of my head, mm. uh, which, uh, is if, uh, all the art galleries and museums in the world got together and said, we're going to give Joe one thing of her choice from all of our museums and art galleries. She can take it home and possess it and it's hers. What thing would you like to have from all the world's uh, museums and art galleries that would be yours? I know what I would want, but I also know something I saw recently randomly. I yeah. would like a um, Bridget Riley painting. 
Um, But the thing I went to see, because I'd gone to see her exhibition and then I'd gone just by chance because I really like the South Bank. So if I'm gigging in London for the weekend, I suddenly went, oh, let's just go and see something randomly um, at the Tate Modern. And it was a guy, I think he's called Neem June Pak. And I really liked him. Apparently, you know, when you just go, I'm just going to see what it is. Oh, it's crazy. I love it. And he thought up the phrase information superhighway. So he was in the 60s and 70s and thought that CCTV and all of this filming everybody, a bit like Warhol, would bring the world closer together and that it was a wonderful thing. And he, and he did that thing of having high art and low art and just everyday stuff. And he had television gardens, and that's what I would like. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like all plants and then TV showing all different kind of ads or somebody playing classical music. And he had a friend. She always played classic, played the cello topless or just completely nude. And then she got a glass cello so she could play, but her boobs were in the, you know, in the cello, but the glass. You know, and it was all just that lovely where you, you know, when you go, I don't know if this is art. You could just be mad, mad as a hatter or just, you know, where you go, really, you can fool anybody, but just throwing yeah. shit together. But of I course. thoroughly loved it. And I like, also yeah. like that confusion of, I don't know if this is art or not. Seems like <laughs> I could have done this, you know, but, and, and he met, he had pianos that he took all the, 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 what you, the hammers that make the noise. And he thought that was hilarious and filmed people playing it without it making noise, but it means something. It doesn't mean anything. It's just really funny. <laughs> well, I like that. I like that I was talking to Grayson Perry about that with the, with the, you know, when comedy, when art's funny, so much of art isn't funny. And like, and, and, and art should be this kind of collision of ideas yeah. in the same way that a joke is a kind of collision of ideas. And sometimes it's, you know, that you put the two things together and it makes sense. And sometimes you put two things together and they don't make sense. And, that, and both in art and comedy, those, both those things can work. So I think, you know, I, I do, I think it's, it takes, art can take itself way too seriously. Yes. And I think it's great when, when you see something that just is that. Yeah. And it was kind mad of collision. and crazy. Yeah, also, yeah. I think sort of sometimes with certain stand-ups and it doesn't, they can be an angry or, but they're feeling that they should give the people. I don't think, I don't think sometimes stand-up gets credit for that, that, to give that people that feeling of freedom and fuck offness, you know, just for laughing at an outrageous joke or somebody being angry about life or thing makes people feel good, you know. That's uh, and that's what art does. So in that way, we should get some of this fucking money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely. Well, we'll see if we so we'll see if anything filters through. Um, oh, there was something that uh, back to Twitter again. Did you take over Neville Southall's Twitter account? <laughs> What was what was what was going? How did that happen, and what was going on with that? I can't even remember what he said. I mean, I do like football, so I follow okay. some footballers, and uh, and also people who are more football journalists. Like I've listened to quite a lot of podcasts about football, um, and I'm, I'm constantly trying to understand tactics, um, but not really. Uh, and um, so he had said, but he's quite political, Neville Southall, and quite sound. And he said something about the government early on in lockdown you know, to equivalent to what a bunch of cunts sort of thing. So I just said, oh, you know, love Level Southall. He's won Twitter today. And so he got in touch and went, that's really great you said that. I understand that as a comedian, all your work will have stopped. Um, would you like to take over my account? And I realise he does that sometimes, usually for charity, but obviously I okay. saw me as a charity in myself. Yeah, <laughs> and said you can take it over. And and I did kind of go, oh, I'd like that because he's got loads of followers and that could be fun. And 
But then I was like, oh, and then I have to think of things to talk to people about for two and a half hours. But then so it was that I made little videos and think, what things do I like about football? What do I want to know about? You know, things that I think are weird. Like I don't understand why they run around and take their shirts off. You know, just what other what other point in life does a male adult feel feel that need just doesn't happen you know we've done a great deal oh let's get our shirts off so it's just sort of stuff like that but it was funny because a man got in touch with me on twitter from radio derby bbc radio derby and he said i just really wanted to know if this was real do you know who the south hall is he said because we were having a bet in the office going but if she didn't it's a really good random guess because who would think of neville southall it's so bizarre but then again they see that's where Social media becomes an amazing yeah. thing. You know, I would never have put the two of you together as a as a force. I would never thought you would really be aware of who Never Southall is, but that's not. You know, also, strange it was my, because yeah. of Everton, because um, he sort of played for Everton until he was ninety or something, and he played for Wales. And I do, I would support Wales. Um, but when I was a kid, uh, my my mum and dad had just come over from Northern Ireland, and uh, Zed Cars was on telly. And the theme to Zed Cars is what Everton come out to. So uh, so in all my life, my mum and dad were really excited when they came to England. And James Ellis was the, and from Belfast, like my dad is, was the star of this show in England. So it was like, well, we're doing, we could do really well here, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I just remember as a kid, always my mum loved Zed Cars. And you'd hear that noise. And then I was with somebody, a mate, um, who's an Everton fan. And I didn't realise in his phone his phone this was years ago and his ringtone was the zed cars theme because he's an editor yes. fan and it went off and i went yeah. oh are you like a really big zed cars fan <laughs> so since then i've always kind of had a soft spot for everton because i didn't know that, that was their okay. song yeah. right yeah, what a, what a lovely, lovely thing. But very, uh, so, you know, weird and random and that's modern. Yeah, yeah, no, it's well, Social media, isn't it? So, nice. so lock, lockdown's a good thing, social media's a good thing, but the world's becoming a better place if we just ignore everything that's everything happening else elsewhere. And everything else, <laughs> the collapse that is about to come, yeah. Yeah, we ignore that. We're having a, we're having a great, yeah. great... Great. We're having a great last um, couple of months on there. Yeah. <laughs> and do you still do your? I used to do your things. I learned as a comedian. And was that something you you got other people to? Uh, yeah. Do on your website as well. Yeah, I sort of. I, I sort of asked everybody, and everybody. You know, some of the things stuff was very useful to people, and some was funny yeah. stuff, and I quite liked it. Um, but I just took it off because um, <laughs> um, it's a couple of times like. Um, I, uh, really bad comedians came up and said, oh, I read your thing and I thought, oh, I'll do comedy. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm using this for good. <laughs> so I've taken it down for a little bit. <laughs> but it's quite, <laughs> it's a shame. It was a good, there was some good advice yeah, in there. Yeah, I mean, there was some, thing. there was, it was, some of it was funny and it was, you know, it was interesting to see, but there was, because it is that thing when people are trying to start up, I guess, that it's, I think, again, maybe talking to Stuart Goldsmith about this, but it was, you know, it's you get you're getting a lot of emails from people saying what to do. So it's nice to have a thing you can direct them to. Well, no, in that email. way, that was the thing. People yeah. do ask you, and so it's yeah. like, oh, you can look on my website and or this. But also, you know, when people ask you, I mean, the only thing to say as people is you have to gig and you have to listen to the reaction as well. Um, but they don't yeah. want you to say that. <laughs> they really don't. They want you to go. My God, you're amazing. You'll be famous tomorrow. You know. 
yeah. I mean, it is that simple. It's, uh, that's all. My my own bit of advice when people email me is that literally that just do as much. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the job as you can until you, <laughs> until you know, you're good also, at it or until you're not good at it. Or, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're not good at it or you realise it's not for you. Like if you're, if yeah. you're kind of going, well, I've done five gigs. Why am I, you know, you go, well, it's not for you. You have to. I always think you have to kind of love it as well. Yeah. yeah. And is it is that what you – is is it the – because you seem very much a stand-up, right? I do, you know, I know you've done telly and you've done, you've done, you know, you've 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 been on all those shows that the Have I Got News for You and Mock the Week and all that sort of stuff. So you do do the telly job as well. But it seems like you're very committed to being a stand-up comedian and being in charge. I mean, is it the autonomy of being a stand-up that you that yeah, drives you? Yeah, I think I like the autonomy and I really like it. And also, I'd spent. I'd, a couple of times I'd gone down that road of like people, oh, I've, I mean, I've done, you know, radio series and things, which is a lot of writing. And also you're very, you were very, I mean, now there's podcasts and things are different, but then we were very restricted about what you could say and attitude. And um, it, a couple of times, to be honest, I'd gone down that route where people are interested and they go, oh, sitcom. So you spend about two years writing a sitcom and everyone's really excited and blah, blah. And then they tell you things you can't do, like you can't have someone talking into camera, Joe. That's really old-fashioned. You can't do that. Oh, but Miranda did it after I suggested it. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, you've all that terrible advice, but it was more. And then, and then of course, the guy um, got moved within the BBC and we were a co-production with Positive. And, uh, and he said, well, it'll be somebody else now. And I went, oh, who is it? And it was a bloke. And I thought, he'll he'll hate me. I've known one, it's not his project. He doesn't care. Two, I know who he likes. He likes like university boys comedy. He's not going to like me at all. We're dead. And it was, it was dead in the water. And because I'd had it a couple of times, I just thought, fuck that, wasting my time. And I'd let stand up slip a bit. So I thought, right, I'm just going to concentrate on stand up. And then I, you know, when you concentrate on something, you get better at it and you enjoy it more. So I thought, I'm just not. And also you get to, and I think everybody has to go through it. Like now, like if someone says, oh, I'd really like to hear your ideas. I thought, I, well, I'd really not like to tell you. You know, I, like you're saying about meeting, I couldn't give a shit. But when you're first in, you, of course, you have to go through that stage where you're excited somebody wants to hear your ideas so they could maybe ignore them or steal them to use later. Yeah. So you give up that time and everybody has to go through that. And I'm not saying to people, don't do it. Do do it because it can work out. But I just thought, oh, fuck it. No, people have to be clamoring to go, no. It's, and it, that happens with some people that go, we don't care what the idea is. We just will do anything with that person. And that's when you can go to a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise I'm like no I'd rather get on and tinker with my things and make little feel you know and now I think now because I've found out what you can do on a phone um, yeah. you know just do things and, and I yeah and and I'm still got you know stuff that I'm excited with if I get new material and say and yeah and it's because I know a lot of your stuff's um you know a lot of your stuff's personal and, and about stuff that's happening to you and observational, really, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Are you finding that the, the lockdown is providing you material or not? As a result, is it suddenly like, oh no, there is nothing now that nothing's happening, or is in a way, does it provide yeah, I think you more? It sort material? of provides, uh, you know, the sort of initial of you know the humor in in sort of in liking this, and yeah. then the humor or you know, and like a lot of people are finding that you you've suddenly accidentally become an alcoholic. 
you know, because I don't know what happened when I do stuff about that. Like suddenly I thought I was like French. And when it came to half past six, I had to start drinking wine every night. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and also the interaction with your neighbors uh, and Zoom quizzes with the family, yeah. which are a nightmare. So uh, quite, quite a lot came out of stuff that my family want to do on Zoom because they're, you know, they're nothing to do with comedy. So they do the things that everyone's doing, which I find interesting because I always hate it. So they were doing a quiz and then we did a murder mystery. I was like, this is the worst fucking hour of my life. Like, cause they're reading a script that is shit. And also do you know what really annoyed me is they gave me like a part with like two lines. I'm like, I'm the one who can fucking act here. You know, I'm the entertainer, but my nephew's got all the fucking lines. You know? so, I, so I found all that sort of, I find it interesting and funny that I go, what is wrong with me that I can't enjoy things that people, other people enjoy. That I just think this is the worst entertainment in the world. So bad written. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that it's not uh, dampened your. Uh, I mean, you're, it's hard to describe exactly how what your persona. You're sort of a no nonsense. That you're, you're It's that sort of sarcasm, no nonsense. But it's great to. Have, it's just. I think it's celebratory. You know, it's very, <laughs> it is celebratory, but it's also like you. You'll say you say those things about about that people don't say about those social interactions, which I think is interesting because a lot of people would do a political act that's like that maybe, but to actually, you know, to a lot of people would be scared to say that about their own families. And I like, do you think that after the lockdown, when we're back at clubs, do you think audiences will want to hear, that? will they want to forget about lockdown or will they want to hear material about lockdown? Do you think, do you think there'll be, that's, that's what I'm sort of interested in. I think we'll get back and A, will we all be match fit? And B, what would the audience want to hear? And if we talk about lockdown, will it be, oh, we've been, we've fucking done lockdown. We don't want to talk about something else. Do you have I any idea? Gonna about- be, what the, the problem's going to be, isn't it, is it's not going to be quite like Brexit in that Brexit was really divisive. So audience just went, well, we don't feel the same way as you do, so don't talk about it. But it became, also became, oh, we're so tired of people doing material. So I think it might just be that we're so tired of people doing bre- uh, lockdown material. You know, and you might go on a bill and if you're on last, you go, has everybody done lockdown material then, you know, and unless you're really sure yours is totally different, then, it's, well, there's always that thing when everyone's talking about one thing. It's like, like I would do, you know, like when suddenly people are doing Trump jokes and it's just like, there's nothing to say. Yeah. So it's not funny yeah. or it's just boring now to do jokes about him. Uh, oh, what an idiot! You go. Oh, it's so much more serious than that. So, yeah, I think it's. I think there's going to be an eggy moment of people going, "Oh, it's funny. Yeah, we did that in lockdown too." Oh, God, they're still <laughs> talking about lockdown. These comics. <laughs> Jesus, get on with your lives, will you? And that's why, one way, I think it's really great. There's not an Edinburgh this year because that would have just been yeah. a nightmare of COVID nineteen jokes. So yeah, nobody is allowed to do them next year. It's terrible. I don't. I think if anyone does them next year, it would look. If someone will. There'll definitely be uh, lockdown-based shows next yeah. year. But if there is a fringe next year, if we're back next yeah. year, we will see. We will see. Um, yeah. We'll see if it's happening. So, if people want to see you, Twitter's a great place to see you. Uh, is that are you, are you? Are you posting all your videos on yeah. Twitter yeah. as well? Because I see yeah. them on Facebook. You're yeah, on Facebook uh, yeah, well. um, Instagram. Um, um, yeah. Uh, Instagram TV. I don't understand Twitch. I mean, I actually looked that up the other day. Don't... This is Twitch. Well, Twitch. I think you like if you've got a green screen as well. I think it's very, it's very exciting. If you've got a nice camera, and so you can literally do anything you want live. This is what we're doing now. Yeah. 
Uh, and uh, if you look at a few, a few, quite a few comics are getting onto it. Uh, Bill Zaffer's on, who's coming on this in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, he's doing really well and doing sort of uh, characters within video games and stuff that's, that's made quite a splash. So I think, I think there's quite a lot of potential for Twitch. Uh, and you can get you can get people can pay you or you can get money. you can get Amazon Prime people can give you free money every month so you know oh, they yeah. have to they don't yeah. have to give you they don't have to even have to pay you so I think you might find that's if you if you're coming up with sketches and coming up with little ideas and and want to chat and feel comfortable chatting down the lens to these idiots here oh, then um right. then <laughs> then you know I think I think you might. I think you might like it. It is. There are other uh, yeah, platforms about yeah. that doing the same thing as well. But. No, I've not thought about monetizing anything at all, um, and I and, and I don't think I will. Um, but I, <laughs> I do. I have got a bit like you know. Every day the postman comes, and I'm like, oh, what is it? You know, I've no. I so that's gone a bit crazy. Um, but then I send stuff back as well. It's just a thrill, isn't it? <laughs> and it's a visitor. <laughs> Well, look, Joe, it's always lovely to see you. And thank you very much for sparing the time to come and talk to us. And uh, I'm sure people will track you down and find you online. In I a hope. good way. I mean, in, in a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> so if they do, if it goes in a bad way, I'm going to look really awful for saying that, especially if it happens before this goes out. Um, so uh, thank you very much. Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, the amazing Joe Caulfield. Uh, we're back next week. I think Bethany Hughes, the historian's on next week. That's exciting, isn't it? We'll see you then. Goodbye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Joe Caulfield. Thank you to Pest to provide the music for this audio version. Aren't they lovely? I am also indebted very much to Chris Evans, not that one, for all the fantastic work he's put into making this Twitch stream work through this difficult period. And much more than that. I, he saved me. He's, he, without him, I'd be nothing. And I mean that. So thank you to Chris Evans. I'm indebted to you. Thank you also to everyone at Acast, everyone at the British Comedy Guide, everyone at Twitch, uh, my mum and dad, and Donkey, and Ali Sloper, who has also rescued my career. Our executive, this producer, our executive producer this week is Jason Ruse. We called him Jason Rude, because he was very rude on set about how bad the show was. Um, and it's not really what we're looking for in an executive producer. But thank you very much, Jason Rude. Jason Rude. For your fine contributions. I'm only joking. You know I'm joking, Jason. Uh, this is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFastTheStrike.com production. Quickly head to rahalasma.co.uk slash Kickstarter and help us make our target. Just put a couple of quid in, please. I am begging you. Uh, and if the Kickstarter's over, we might be doing another one. We're doing a snooker one coming up soon. And, you know, it doesn't really None of it really matters. Just enjoy the stuff. I love you all, guys. Take care. See you on the other side. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. Don't drink the milk. No, this isn't a podcast about milk. If you like historical intrigue, a bit of culture, and a sprinkling of controversy, this one's for you. I'm Rachel Stewart, and I'm travelling around Europe. Following the hidden history of everyday things as they're exported through time and around the world, by force, by chance, or by choice. No need to pack your bags. Just subscribe to Don't Drink the Milk wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Thank you very much for listening to my podcasts. Listen to some more. Tell your friends about these podcasts. We're in a very competitive market. It would be lovely to keep those downloads coming in. The more downloads we get, the more money we make and the more podcasts we can make for you. It's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. Come and see me on tour at richardherring.com. But otherwise, just, you know, go outside. Enjoy the spring air. It's beautiful out there. I love you all. Goodbye.